Hi, this is Rob Hopkins, and you're just about to listen to episode three of From What If to What Next, which is the podcast that uh, it is a great delight to present. And I just wanted to mention that if you were to subscribe to this podcast at www.patreon.com slash from what if to what next, for just £3 a month, you would get two of these podcasts a month, plus two exclusive uh, Ministry of Imagination podcasts, plus various other treats and bits and bobs uh, that I put up there as well. So for the price of a cup of coffee, uh, you get to be listening to podcasts a couple of weeks ahead of where they're put up for free here. So do join me. It's uh, It really helps and supports the work that I do, and, uh, uh, and it will be wonderful to have you as part of that community. Anyway, I've said enough. Enjoy this podcast. I'm Rob Hopkins, and in this episode of From What If to What Next, we will be exploring a question sent in by Patreon subscriber Tony Buck, who asked, what if a local or regional government really decided to relocalise the food system? Where's the blueprint? These days of coronavirus have highlighted once again the fragility of our just-in-time food system, whether it's because suppliers have struggled to meet demand or because demand from sectors such as restaurants has evaporated overnight, leaving some farmers giving away produce rather than wasting it. At the same time, food banks have faced unprecedented demand and many families have faced very real food shortages. We can and we must do an awful lot better. And now is the time to reimagine and rebuild. So so today we're exploring Tony's question and asking what if cities were to intentionally and skillfully relocalize their food systems? What if a coordinated program were to resituate a city within its food shed, to reconnect it with the land around the city and also kickstart an explosion of urban food production? What if it were to be an approach rooted in social justice and equal access to good nutritious food? And what if they saw doing so as being as much a public health and mental health strategy? as a food strategy. How would it be to live in a future of vibrant food networks and markets and where food poverty was a thing of the past? So I'm joined today by two of the very best people to explore this question with us. Dee Woods refers to herself as a food and farming actionist and campaigner. The focus of her activism is good food for all, in particular focusing on the systemic barriers faced by marginalised communities. She's co-founder of Granville Community Kitchen in South Kilburn and recently co-founded the African and Caribbean Heritage Food Network. A previous BBC Food and Farming Awards winner, Dee sits on the GLA London Food Board, the steering group of People Food Power, and a co-editor of A People's Food Policy. 
She's an honorary research fellow at Coventry University, a member of the Food Ethics Council and a coordinating group of the Land Workers Alliance, trustee of Sustain and a co-chair of the Independent Food Aid Network. Dee has written about and spoken extensively on various food issues, including food insecurity, inequalities in food systems, participatory policymaking, intersectionality and decolonialisation. So we're delighted you managed to fit in a little bit of time uh, for us, Dee, uh, in the middle of all of that. Christian Jeanet joins us today from Liège in Belgium, where he is the founder of many things, most notably the Centure Alimentaire Liégeoise Initiative, or the Liège Food Belt uh, in English. He's one of the founders of Liège en Transition. Centure Alimentaire is one of the most bold and exciting attempts to relocalise the food system of a city that I have yet seen. In the past five years, CATL have started 21 new cooperatives, have raised over 5 million euros of community investment to start them. They've built a a connected network of producers, retail outlets, food processing, a local currency and much more. I visited there last year and was amazed at what I found. Christian has been central to the story unfolding there and brings his experience, the joys and the scars of actually making something like this a living, breathing reality in 2020. So you're both so welcome. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. I'd like to start with an exercise that is how we always begin this podcast. I'd like to invite you both to get comfortable and to close your eyes. And I would invite you listening at home to do this too. I'd like to invite you to imagine yourself 10 years forward in the future. And you're arriving in a time where everything that could possibly have been done over the past 10 years was done. It's not utopia, but it has been a remarkable transition, one that felt completely unimaginable in 2020. Food systems have been rebuilt to focus on local production, and every town and city is ringed by and interlaced with abundant, sustainable food production. Vibrant markets are a central feature of every place. I'd like to invite you in your imagination to bring that future, the vision that underpins your work, to life in our imaginations. What would it be like, sound like, taste like, smell like to be in such a time? Take us on a walk around. Okay, my eyes aren't closed. I'm looking out the window. Okay. I can see fruit bushes and fruit trees in the park opposite, in the community garden. You know, it's expanded, lots of fruits and vegetables and herbs growing. And as we walk around the neighborhood, we have a vibrant market, foods that cater to every pocket and to different ethnicities. And you could smell that as well. Thyme and lavender. There's a Caribbean herb that goes by different names called big leaf thyme or Spanish oregano, you could smell that in the air, you can smell ripening fruit, the cherry tree, you know, and it's just this vibrant explosion of colours and smell and of people and people gathering around food. So growing, harvesting food to be cooked in our community kitchen and people shopping. Wonderful. Thank you, Dee. I can smell it from here. Christian? Uh, yes, Rob. Uh, I'm, I'm not able to do something as uh, po- poetic as, as D, uh, because, my, as you know, my English language is not my native language. But in 10 years, I, I imagine um, a co- cooperative food production site uh, in every 
each district of Liège, where the, the local population, people uh, from the neighborhood, can come up and harvest their food themselves. And we actually have already started that uh, in a first neighborhood with the city of Liège, with a project named Crea Farm. And uh, the city of Liège has loaned a first piece of land for a period of 20 years for the installation of two uh, new and young vegetable growers. And we are studying with the city the possibility of doing that in every neighborhood, every district of Liège. So this makes a lot of sense. It creates uh, social ties and resilience in the neighborhoods. And I imagine that within 10 years, it might be in a lot of neighborhoods, uh, this, this, uh, this system. I imagine also that most of school canteens uh, in Liège are supplied with uh, organic and local products. It's uh, already the case for several small canteens in the region, but we are working with the city so that uh, gradually uh, the dozens of uh, schools of the city are supplied with such local uh, quality products. Uh, and it's, of course, a very a long-term project, but it's it started. And the goal really is that all of the city's children, whatever their social condition, can have access to quality food. And it's spreading. So this is what I imagine within 10 years. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. So you're both involved in projects that have been taking very firm steps uh, in the direction of the of, of the vision that you've just painted. So I wondered if you might both tell us the story of a key project that you've been part of that has taken the most concrete steps towards relocalizing the food supply of a city. Maybe, Christian, if we could start with you. Could you give listeners an overview of uh, Centur Alimentaire and what it has achieved so far? I would say that uh, a characteristic uh, of the, the Centre Alimentaire is, is that it is based on a network of cooperatives. So this is, as, as you know, a special kind of enterprise where uh, profit is not the main goal um, and where you want to, to make some collaboration. And we have now about 25 of these cooperatives uh, working together uh, around Liège, uh, around uh, food production, food transformation, or food distribution. Some of them are very successful. One of them has, has failed, as maybe you, you started to, to mention it. I've been uh, quite implicated in, in this cooperative, which could not work economically. But may, um, most of the cooperative are, are, are doing well, and you you visited some of them, Rob. And for instance, the cooperative Le Petit Producteur, which is a cooperative of local shops, and their aim is to open a new shop every year in a different neighborhood of Liège. They have started three years ago, and they already have three shops. They have a huge success. People really want the, the products from the, these shops, which propose local food where the producer gets a fair price for the production. And the consumers can also have access to high quality food at a reasonable price. It's quality price, but socially accessible. 
And it's so much success that in three years, we will soon have a fourth uh, shop, nearly 20 employees. It's a big source of hope seeing a project like this one developing so fast. Mm. Wonderful. And Dee, is, is there a, a key project that you've been part of that you'd like to, to share with us? The Community Food Growers Network, we have different members progressing towards what Christian has described. So we have growing communities right, who have done and still doing amazing things in East London, opening the first organic market and making organic food accessible to everyone. The pocket farm idea, we have people growing on very small places in highly urbanized London. Most recently, the Better Food Traders, working with farmers in the peri-urban and rural areas to bring food into London. So basically a central food hub that could then be sent out to different food box schemes and bag schemes throughout London. We also have lots of community farms who service different areas. Picking up on one of the things that Christian said, the city facilitated some of that. That's what we're working on with the London Food Board to try and open up land to make it accessible to new farmers and to enable them to have at least a 20 25-year lease to make it viable. Fabulous. And I, it sounds like both of those both of those projects are things that uh, require a new generation of, fo- of food growers. You know, like in, in, in agriculture, the average age of farmers is in the late 50s, early 60s. And this require, for this to work, it will require a new generation of young uh, uh, people interested and skilled in growing food. I, I wonder how, how you're seeing that emerge or, or how we might bring that about, Dee? At Granville Community Kitchen, part of our work has always been around education. It's a core thread. And most of that has been informal. We're starting a new project around organic food production that would take young people further along and combine that with the training that Land Workers Alliance and Organically are doing so that we do have the next generation of farmers and growers as well, because we can't just be growers, we need people who do mixed farming, animals, dairy products. So we, we need to be looking right across the board. In, in terms of reimagining, we need to think about what we eat, what do we need to change about our diets and how much we can produce it. Mm. Thank you. And, and Christian, how, how, are you, how are you working with that in, in Liège? We have a lot of, of young people coming to us, young men and women, uh, wanting to to start a new project in in food production. Very often, they don't come from the traditional uh, agricultural background in their family. And they they want to start from scratch with good ideas, with some training, but they need to find uh, access to land. They need to find access to some funding to start their project, access also to the consumers, so that's one of our main goals. Uh, that's why we are doing some lobbying with uh, the local communities to to ask them to find some land 
to help these people to install. We try to collect uh, money through our cooperative to have the means of investing in the installation of these new uh, new producers because you need money for that. And uh, the cooperative can help greatly in this aim. Uh, we need also to help them install to, to have a distribution network that pays them fairly for, for the money they're, they're producing. So it's a lot of things you have to do together to, to make sure that a young person today uh, can install in good conditions and can have a fair wage for the, the, the work that, uh, that, that they're doing. We're recording this podcast in the middle of the of the coronavirus pandemic. Is your sense that the coronavirus and what we've had to do during this has hindered the transition towards a more localised and resilient food system or, or not? And where are we now as we start to emerge from this, would you think? Clearly, the, the, the coronavirus uh, has been... Uh, an event that has boosted uh, greatly the, the, the consumption of uh, quality local products in Liège. And uh, our, our network of uh, cooperatives uh, is overwhelmed by the demand of the, of the consumers who, who want to have access to this kind of food. We don't have the, the full explanation about this uh, phenomenon, uh, but it's there. Uh, some of our cooperatives uh, have seen their level of activity doubled or tripled in a, in a couple of months. We are wondering if this trend will go on when uh, we finally solve this uh, and hopefully uh, solve this uh, corona crisis. I think we we've managed to 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 find uh, to to come in contact with new new consumers that were not interested in local food before, and I I, I don't think we will come back to the initial situation. It's been a, a, an enormous boost for our networks, really. We've seen that demand here, and food producers are unable to meet it, or we have food producers who've taken on extra fields but then can't find the people to buy their produce. One of the things we're doing with the Land Workers Alliance is connecting communities, and particularly communities who don't have access to good organic food, to see how we can reorientate so that we're making it affordable. You know, we're not just giving away food, but we're trying to make it affordable. We've been doing food aid here at Granville Community Kitchen. And because of that, we've attracted a lot of volunteers who would normally buy from a box scheme or who can't afford to buy food. Part of that piloting of new ways of accessing your food is solidarity. So not just cooperatives, but having sliding skill options and solidarity shares and also thinking about doing food cooperatives. So I think that solidarity aspect and that mutual aid aspect of a food system is really, really important and it's capturing people now and being able to sell our vision, as it were, of how our food system should look in 10 years' time. I think anybody listening to this podcast who was feeling despondent about the future will already be feeling an awful lot better. 
Tony's question that sparked this episode suggested that achieving a localised food system requires the involvement of local politicians and local government. Is that so? And you mentioned, Dee, about working with the GLA. And if it is, how is best to approach them and involve them in making this a reality? Definitely, you know, we must have political... Well, I think we need activists and food producers and all the people who are involved in food to work with local authorities and policy makers to come up with what is needed. And I think that's what's happened with London. So our current chair of the London Food Board, she's been an activist for years and campaigned and been advising the mayor for a very, very long time. If it isn't participatory, it will always be top down and will not So we have to be speaking to our local councillors, we need to be speaking to our MPs and likewise our representation at whatever city or whatever regional level because this can't continue, it is not sustainable. The supermarket system does not work as as we saw Um, and, and we need to start creating that alternative now. Fabulous. And Christian, when I when I was in Liège and we met, met with the mayor of Liège, he was very, very enthusiastic about, about what you're doing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the idea that the transition uh, initiatives must work hand in hand uh, with the local government. As an early reader of your books, uh, Rob, uh, I think that's an, an idea that uh, you, you already spread it, that you should try to collaborate with the local governments. That's why that's what we've tried to do in Liège from the start when we created Liège in transition. But in the in the very beginning, we were not uh, very legitimate in their eyes. They thought, who are who are these people? What's their credibility? And it's the fact that we uh, have started uh, a kind of economical movement with all these networks of cooperatives with the creation of uh, many, many jobs and so on, with people investing their money in these enterprises. Uh, That fact made that uh, the the local government uh, finally took us seriously. We tried to to take them uh, within our story. We we, we had a vision, we tried to share it with them. And instead of... entering um, a relationship of opposition with them, uh, telling them you're doing it, uh, uh, things bad. or uh, We rather told them, look what you, we could do together, how we could um, draw a different future, uh, better for our population. Um, and w- the credibility we, we, try, we managed to gain and also an interesting image of the future made that they, they came to collaborate with us on many projects I said a word about their help for uh, access to land. They're also working hard on the, the subject of the canteens. They, they collaborate on uh, lots of, of projects. For instance, they, they are thinking about investing money of the city in a vegetable processing manufacturing where you, you can collect the local vegetables, wash them, prepare them for the collectivity and so on. So that's a big move forward from, from them. And it's just a question of trying to induce a relationship of collaboration rather than opposition. 
Wonderful. And Dee, I had a question for you. How does a more localised food system sit alongside the cultural and ethnic diversity of our cities? What does local food mean in communities, uh, the large majority of whose diet is, say, imported from India or other parts of the world and dependent on particular produce? How does local meet global when it comes to feeding BME communities? Okay, so you use two different words there, Rob, so local and localised. And for me, local means hyper-local and what you can only produce or grow here in the UK. And for some of that, we can grow more foods because of climate change, unfortunately. It is getting hotter. We can grow a lot more diverse foods here. But for a large majority of foods, and I think especially for people from Africa and the Caribbean and South America, there are things we cannot grow here. And for me, this is where localized comes in because we should be connected with other local communities and supporting them with their local food systems and then trading with them how it used to be done. So that is fair and we know that farmers are getting a fair price and we're getting a fair price and we're not just extracting and abusing that, that sort of trade relationship. There's sale cargo that goes to South America and the Caribbean. We cannot just cut those relationships or else as racialized people, we, we won't have our basic human rights, our culturally appropriate food. So those relationships have to continue. And you mentioned that you that you grow things in London. I wonder what, what what's the thing that you that you think li- people listening would be most surprised to hear that you've managed to grow in London? Kalalu, which is how it's known in Jamaica, or in Nigeria, call it pete. Some parts in Caribbean and Asia would be called baji. That's widely grown now in London. Or sweet potatoes, chayote or chocho which is a gourd, an edible gourd. So taro leaf, we can grow those as well. So there are quite a lot of foods that we can grow. It just means starting early and undercover and indoors, and then you could switch to outdoors. Fantastic. Christian, Centure Alimentaire Liegeoise has developed some really innovative approaches to supporting emerging new growers and food producers that go beyond just buying their produce. For example, you offer them work in the shop over the winter to enable them to make a living while they're not growing. Can you say a bit about how else you help growers and why it matters that we offer that kind of support? Yeah, very simply, if we want a kind of revolution uh, in our approach on food and uh, try to have a better food sovereignty, we must help, greatly help uh, young people to to install in uh, in the activity of food production. Because without this help, the change will not be big and fast enough. Because as I said earlier, there is a difficulty of access to land, to, to funding, to, uh, to knowledge sometimes, to networks of commercialization. So you need to, to work on all these aspects at, at the same time. And one of the main aspects, if you want young people to install in this kind of activity, is to make sure that they, 
get a decent salary for 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 what they're doing um, and so you you need in indeed to uh, imagine other way of working with them many many food growers are working as independent and take a lot of risk and with the system we we've set up uh, they can spend uh, a part of their time working uh, for a regular salary they they have more security to install it in this new kind of activity. I wonder if there was one moment that you've experienced from the projects you've been involved in, one story that captures why you do this work, why relocalizing food production in this way would be such a wonderful thing. What would that story be? For me, it's seeing people who wouldn't normally be able to access good food. So like when we do our meals, they know that they're getting organic food and, you know, it's food that some of them have grown themselves in, in our allotments. People have that sense of pride and that they're actually part of something, you know, and that they're connected. And for me, that, that's part of the motivation, that social cohesion and being part of something not just being stuck in your four walls, eating empty, soulless food. You know, that's what people mean when they say soul food. You know, it's food produced with love and cooked with love and shared with love. Everybody, absolutely everybody is concerned by food production, transformation, distribution. It's an uh, uh, everyday thing. And it's for me, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the best starting point to try to, to change uh, as well um, the economical and the political system to make it more democratic, more collaborative, uh, more social also, and of course, uh, more respectful of the health of the humans and the environment. And uh, I've been in, implied in many projects, and but it's really in food projects that I have really found that people could get involved with all their heart with the, the urge to, to change the situation. I think after trying many things, I found my direction in, uh, in this. Mm. And of course, we don't want to leave people with the impression that, that this is really, really easy and that this sort of happens magically uh, without any kind of, uh, uh, without a lot of work. And I wonder for you, what are the main challenges involved in achieving a more localized food system? What are the main obstacles to overcome and how might we overcome them? First of all, we ha will have um, a sustainable food system when people who make this food system work, the, the producers, the, the growers, can make their jobs in uh, de decent uh, conditions. It means uh, notably uh, getting a, a decent salary uh, from, their, from their work. And it's not the case at the moment, and that's why uh, we've lost more than the half of our producers in Belgium since uh, 1980. We've lost 100,000 producers who stopped their activity. And I think that um, the, the society must, uh, in its whole, must understand the value, the real value of food. It's not a general commodity. 
we must give more value in every sense to to the food to the financial value of food we there was a time where people spent half of their income on food and now in belgium uh, they don't spend more than 10 or 12 percent of the on their of their wage on on food because they don't think it's something so important i think we must have a better balance of what's important and not important in our life mm. Wonderful. Thank you. And Dee, what, 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 what are the challenges that, that you encounter? Yeah, I thoroughly agree with you, Christian. For me, it is about shifting that perception that food is a commodity and something that could be traded. Food has so much value and so many different values. It needs to be seen as a public good or a commons. And within that, we need to value our food producers and our food workers, everyone throughout the chain. Likewise, people aren't a resource, all right? People need to be treated with dignity and have access to fair wages. For me, one of those biggest barriers is dealing with the corporations and big supermarkets who insist that food is something to be traded. Another barrier I would see would be policies. We still have a lot of policies that don't connect. So we have health policy in one section and then food policy and agricultural policy and none of them intersect and they're all doing different things. And we need policymakers to be talking to each other so that we do have some sort of integrated food policy so that we can come up with something that's truly sustainable in terms of people, economics, and environment. And we need political will. Without that political will, nothing happens. I firmly believe as people, we have that power to influence the politicians. I personally wouldn't go into politics myself, Right, but I'm quite happy to instigate, be, be that be in the bonnet, as it were. And just to build off that, because hopefully by now people will be listening to us thinking, this sounds great, this sounds like what I want to see happening around me, this sounds like the story that I would like to see for the food system where I live, this is the what next that I want to see unfolding around me. So if people are listening and they would like to be a catalyst right now where they're living for this happening in their place, where would you suggest that they start? I would recommend that people find their local community food project or local community garden and ask, well, how can I help? What can I do for other places that have a sustainable food place? See how you can get involved with that. We have sort of food partnerships or food policy councils as well. There's so many different entry ways in but also to, to use the power of the pen or whatever platform you have. Hold our politicians accountable and ask, why can't I get good food in my neighbourhood? Why isn't there a market? I, I, I need a market. There's so many things that people can do. Great. And uh, Christian? Yeah, well, of course, the, the first and um, easiest step is to think about how do you spend your money? And you can, some people say that you, you, you vote with your consumption. So 
thinking about the, the implication, the consequences of your acts of consumption, we, we have that here in Liège. Another dimension is where do you invest your money? It's not about spending the money, but some, some, some people still have some, uh, some money, but that maybe they will put in shares on the uh, stock options or maybe uh, in the bank. But what do the bank do with the, this money that you, you're giving to them? Our assumption is that people should invest in their local community to make it develop in, a, in the way that they, they desire. That's, that's the second thing. Do you know people around you? Do you know the producers? Do you have the possibility to know them, to have social contacts with them, not just through a, to a shop? That's why we are trying to, to develop these Korea farm projects to have fields in every district, every neighborhood uh, of Liège so that people can be connected again with the reality of food production and create social links around that. And finally, I would say that people can act by the way they vote because obviously every political party does not have the same ideas or attitude towards the the transition uh, questions. And thank you both so much. This has been such a rich and uh, inspiring uh, conversation. And I wonder if you just had any thoughts, any final thoughts on our what if question that I haven't asked you the right question for. Christian? Yeah, you might have asked me finally, uh, isn't the key to transition uh, the, the, the ability to do things together again, because we've just been in the COVID crisis where everybody was isolated. My opinion is that a real transition can only happen in, if we can gather, imagine things together and make them happen together. And that's why in Liège, we are so fond of this cooperative system, which is, according to me at least, the, the key really to, to transition. But how do we bring everyone with us now, yeah? Yeah, and how do we get people to invest in what has been the alternative, and that includes alternative economic system? I once made, made a statement about, well, people can't pay their rent with tomatoes. It's like, but why can't we? If we take the money and profit out of food, why can't I pay my rent by exchanging a bushel of tomatoes? How, how do we change, you know, as, as cultures and as societies and decommodify food? Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you both so much uh, for, for, for being here today, Dee and Christian. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you, Rob. So thanks also to Ben Adicott for sound production and to everyone who subscribes to this podcast at patreon.com and to everyone who has sent in their what-if questions. See you next time.